Welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business and the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. I'm really delighted to introduce our guests today. They are Ajaz Ahmed, founder and CEO of AKQA, part of the WPP Group. And our second guest is Diana Paredes, CEO and co-founder of Suede, a software platform that enables financial institutions to understand and deliver their regulatory requirements. Now, in this episode, we'll be exploring responsible leadership and we'll be finding out how creativity and innovation are key success factors in building sustainable businesses. So to find out more, let's get into the conversation. Ajaz, Diana, welcome to The Lens. Now, on The Lens, we always like to delve a little deeper into who our guests actually are and where they've come from. So we'll start there, first of all. And Ajaz, I'd love at this point if you could tell us who you are, where you come from, and how did you build such an amazing business in AKQA? Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for inviting us along today. It's a great pleasure to, to, to be joining you. So I'm Ajaz Ahmed and I'm the CEO of AKQA, a design and innovation company that I founded when I was 21 years old. And that's a long time ago now. And I was born in a place called Taplow, which is in Buckinghamshire in southeast England. And we started AKQA with, with one studio in the UK. And today we have about 50 studios worldwide and we employ about 6,000 thousand people and most of those are based in the USA because it's the world's biggest economy and then after that the UK in our London offices and in terms of the work that we do we're a design company so we, we design apps websites brand identities and communications it's been a phenomenal adventure in ser- serendipity I started working when I was about 12 and I got my first proper job when I was 15 as soon as I got a national insurance number but Ajaz, you didn't just start work at 12 like other people and wait and see what jobs were available. You had something that was different from reading about you. You were, you were hoking in, in skips and bins for floppy disks at um, a, a large computer software company. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. What was rubbish to the world's third largest software company was a gold mine to a 12-year-old. People talk about the circular economy now, and I think you can think of that 12-year-old's work as, as, as the circular economy. We took their floppy disks and resold them, and that really is the beginning of the circular economy. And the other aspect is we would do delivery on the same day, within an hour. So people talk about Amazon Prime being next day deliver delivery. You could think of us as having Amazon now. You'd get it straight away. You were ahead of your time. And I understand that the uh, CEO of that particular company, you and he became great friends. He is a great friend. His name's Paul Sloan. He gave me this incredible opportunity to work in every single department across the company. And so you can imagine from the age of 15 to the age of around 18, I was learning from a company that's at the cutting edge of its industry and at the cutting edge of technology and getting to work in every single department. So marketing, finance, operations, sales. So it was like university before university. 
I mean, incredible opportunities, but absolutely fueled by your drive and determination. Diana, if I could bring you in at this point, and you're very welcome to the lens. Tell me a little bit about you and your journey. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to to be here. The way I started, I guess, life was traveling around the world with my parents and my United Nations kids. So we had to change countries many times as I grew up. And as I was growing up, in many ways, what I really wanted to do uh, was to change the world. I went through a whole period of, of rebellion uh, where I wanted to emancipate and I actually did emancipate quite young. So I left home at 15 and moved to Italy and it definitely had me understand as well the value of growing up, of being raised obviously by my parents, but also understanding of how to be independent and take care of myself and, and the realities of working hard and how that is important as you continue in your life. Then I studied civil and environmental engineering because I thought that that would be the best way to start saving the world, effectively working in third world countries and building and doing all sorts of different cool projects that would help the communities there. However, I realized quickly that a project in civil engineering can take 20 to 30 years of your life to see the, the results. And I was a bit more impatient than that. And so then the, the next step in the way I thought about my, my career was to actually join financial services and go into banking um, because I felt that in that space, the impact of the work that you were doing was quite uh, immediate in many ways and that there was a lot of things that you could do really understanding the world of finance and how the world fundamentally operates in terms of influencing policy and thinking about how to change things that way. And after a few years in banking, I realized that maybe the opportunity for me was to be independent again and um, to really start something from scratch and to create. And that's when I started my entrepreneurial career. I, I left the industry to uh, start Suede. And uh, it's almost 10 years now that we're going. And it's been a really exciting adventure from the work that we do with governments around the world and with regulators around the world to the World Economic Forum. Uh, some of our clients are the largest banks in the world, as, as well as some of the smallest institutions in the world. And I think we've really demonstrated that there is an opportunity to bring better software in financial services, but as well to think differently about a sector in terms of regulatory technology and bringing technology to a space like like policymaking and legislation and government, which, as we know, can be very slow in the way that they operate. Just hearing both of you how disruptive in, in, a, in the positive sense of the word that you were and how courageous has really stood you in good stead and, and led you to be where you both are now, which is where we're going to go next to the businesses. Ajaz, if we could go back to you in AKQA at the minute, you, you've already explained you know, how massive your organisation is. And Again, it's a little bit, it feels like it's always one step ahead of, of everyone else. But just tell us about some of the clients that you have and, and, and what you do for them. Yes, yeah, so we're incredibly fortunate that we work with some of the best known and best regarded organizations on the planet. So you know, many of the clients that we're famous for working with include Nike, who we've been working with for 24 years, LVMH for a number of years, and we work with a number of the different organizations, the, the Maisons within LVMH, Rolls-Royce, Delta Airlines. And so for Delta Airlines, we've got an incredible relationship where we work on the user experience design of the apps 
for Nike, we help build the Nike apps and many of the communications. So our work is predominantly design and communications. But at the same time, we recently worked with a retailer in, in the UK and we used AI to analyze the their e-commerce. And within a quarter, that project helped increase the sales by 45%, which is incredible. So it's an expansive range of services. So there'll be a lot of people listening to this, hearing an awful lot about AI, but still haven't embraced it, perhaps fearful of it. Tell me how you prove, obviously you see a 45% increase in sales, but that measurement is so important to people listening to that. They want to see how, how would you do that for us? The focus often is on the downsides and the risks, whether they're real or imagined. And for us, the way we look at it is AI is a bit like electricity in the sense that it's going to power productivity. It's already augmenting intelligence. And there's so many ways that AI is useful. That particular application of AI that I mentioned is regression analysis. And there's also other areas that AI is absolutely incredible. So automation and efficiency, healthcare, the way that AI can help with medical diagnosis and it can just analyze large data sets very, very quickly and have a look and identify patterns that might not have been obvious to human doctors. It can also help with innovation and creativity. So we think of AI as part of the team now in the sense that it can assist our artists and our designers in generating new ideas and potential for design. AI is really helping to fuel in the same way the internet did fueling economic growth. And then, you know, there's so many other applications of AI as well, like language translation in real time and and, and and helping that. So as you can see, we take a very optimistic view of new technology. And one of the reasons we do that is the the world has never been free of troubles. What we have to focus on is how we can make every single day better. When we started our company, our founding purpose was to create a better future. And now that's really evolved. And I think through these, through the application of these, these technologies, we, we can do that. And Diana, then moving on to you and Sway, tell us about some of the clients and financial institutions that, that you have. And also tell us about your digital journey. And are you embracing AI? A lot of the things that Ajaz just mentioned, I, I fully agree with, and I'll share a bit about that journey that we've gone through. But um, so we service some of the largest banks in the world, City, Goldman, Santander, to very smaller banks, challenger banks, building societies, and, and we have a global client base. And, and it's really exciting, actually, to be able to do that. Um, in a space that is, you know, regulatory, uh, where there's been very little innovation, I would say, for the past 20 years, and to come in and leverage of automation and uh, natural language processing, effectively machine learning and artificial intelligence are things that we leverage in the way that we do our work. And, and it's one of the reasons I would say that we've been so successful. Um, and also one of the reasons that we don't need uh, that many people as well. So I think what's really interesting with technology is that in financial services, the way people do business is uh, by needing a lot of people, uh, professional services, a lot of work that fundamentally ends up being very manual versus this approach that we have taken, which is to really bring software to this industry 
in a matter of automation that's never really been seen before. And what's exciting for us as well is that the topic we cover, uh, fundamentally regulatory software, um, is about bettering the way that financial services operate overall. At the time when we started, my co-founder and myself really felt that the tsunami of regulation that was coming into the financial industry was for a reason and that there had to be a much more automated way for the financial industry to uh, absorb that amount of information. And that's precisely why we went into um, an approach that leverage of uh, newer technologies such as natural language processing and, and different approaches to leverage of algorithms and building things as building blocks rather than the very manual approach of reading the regulation and putting it together uh, you know, in spreadsheets and then having human beings pressing F9 and wasting their life next to their computers for hours. So I think that the the, um, the reality of, you know, the digital era that we're in, um, it has to be embraced, right? I remember when I went from banking into technology, um, we did it probably in a very naive way because we were bankers, we were not software people, but we knew there must be a better way to do things because we could see what our phone was capable of doing versus the software in our laptops or in our computers at work. Um, and we went with that approach, right? So, you know, it makes no sense that we cannot do these things the way that our phone can operate uh, versus what we do in, in terms of spreadsheets in a bank. What I was really, really shocked to realize how much work we were doing that could fundamentally be replaced by software, by good software. Um, and so I think that the reality of embracing technology for businesses um, is very real. And anyone that runs a business would, would be thinking about that, whether they're a large company or, or an innovator. But what I think is more important uh, at times as well to think about is more what does this technology, this automation, what does artificial intelligence really mean for us as, as people? And, um, you know, when you're talking about this fear um, that it brings to, to people, it's, it is a matter of upskilling and it is a matter of understanding about the power that technology can bring for good in their day-to-day -day lives. And I think that there's two elements we're going to have to really um, absorb and that governments are going to have to absorb in the best way possible for the citizens. Uh, one, it's going to be a world without work in the sense that if there are there is so much work that can be replaced by technology, then how do we make sure that that is done in a way where technology fundamentally empowers creativity, that technology doesn't, you know, destroy our, our minds and our ability to think, but on the contrary is actually leveraged for doing even greater things. And then I think that, you know, a jazz example of leveraging the technology for people to be more creative, almost thinking about AI as, a, as another person in the team is something that is the right way forward. Um, but what you will know, these people actually be doing, Diana? If so, we're talking, what I'm hearing is, oh my goodness, a world where machines are replacing humans and, and there is no need for humans. Is that possible? I think that if people don't realize properly the ability of technology to replace numbing jobs and the ability it can have to empower them, um, then we will see not just in banking, but across different sectors, a world where machines can replace a lot of work and where very few individuals understand how to use that. What I would love as a society is a world where there is a proper upskilling of the population into understanding how these technologies can be used for their own purposes. I see as well, 
in the work that we do, there is this resistance of the automation initially, but when people realize that it automates um, the part of the work that is not interesting, right? It is something that gets embraced. And I think that something that really automation and AI cannot replace is human creativity. So in my area of work, we really need precision because you cannot submit things that are just within a range. It has to be extremely precise when you give something to a regulator on behalf of a bank. And so that means that you still need human intervention to understand and get that precision and that fine-tuning right. Would you want to be completely diagnosed by a machine? No. The idea is that you get that data, that large amount of data analyzed thanks to a machine in a much more efficient way than a human being can do. But then it's still a human being and a doctor with its experience that would be able to analyze things and give the right diagnosis. So I think it's really that balance that we need to strike and, and to understand that better, we need a lot more upskilling as to what technology really is about for the new era of digitization we're talking about. And I think that comes down to needing the leaders that are going to drive this change. Let's talk about responsible leadership now, uh, the subject of today's episode and how creativity and innovation are needed to thrive in today's business world. So what does that mean to you, first of all, Ajaz? We're incredibly fortunate that we get about 20,000 applications a quarter from people who want to join join the company. And I think that one of the reasons they're attracted to the company is because of the kind of work that we do in the, in the kind of incredible organisations that we work with. But hopefully within our brilliant leaders a- across the, the organisation, there's this real consistency and real decency. And we, we kind of talk about it as the one minute MBA, where you, if you make a list of all the things that happen to you that you didn't like in the workplace, don't ever do those. And if you make a list of all the things that happen to you that you love, do those all the time. And to us, that that's responsible leadership. So our main priorities really are the focus on the work, the employee experience, the client experience, and our founding values at the company have always been innovation, service, quality, and thought. That creativity and design plays a very important role in that. And we're so lucky that we're involved in a discipline that is creative because despite the chaos that sometimes is in the world, creativity is such an optimistic act because you're putting something in the world that didn't previously exist and you're the team or the people the individuals that that created that. Diana, uh, same question to you around responsible business. I am thinking of all the machines in your company and I want to hear about how you lead actually the people in your company and why people want to work with you. Yes, I mean, I think that the the thinking of responsible leadership was something very present uh, from the beginning in the way we started the business with that kind of thinking about preventing the next financial crisis. It's it's very much why, you know, we started the, the company. We always wanted to do something that would have that positive impact in the world. And so it's not about eradicating human thinking, but on the contrary, about empowering it. And so that really feeds through every aspect of the company in the way that we do business as well. The that we have, we do think very carefully and thoughtfully about the impact that our technology can have for good. Uh, And also we expand that work in in different directions. So I was mentioning some of the largest banks in the world are our customers, but we also, for example, work with regulators around the world. We have clients like the European Central Bank, and we do a lot of that work, um, you know, really to try to push the boundary forward on the regulatory side. And a lot of that kind of work that we do with organizations to try to think 
and to bring different thought leadership around machine learning, bring different insights around policymaking, like the AI Act, for example, that happened at the European level recently, uh, or even at the UK government level or, or with other governments around the world, comes from that deep-rooted experience about what regulatory technology is all about. And there is a thinking that we promote a lot around agile regulation and fundamentally leveraging of technology at the regulatory level, at the legislative level as a way to do better legislation. And it comes from a thinking of um, given the availability we have of technology, we should be able to have legislators and governments that are much better informed about what their citizens want, uh, making decisions that are much more agile in the way they think about their citizens and the good for their citizens. And um, right now we still have too much, uh, you know, even in the main economies around the world, an excuse of lack of understanding about technology or lack of understanding about the possibilities that technology have for really implementing that at the core way that we do legislation, government and policy. And so a lot of the, the responsible leadership, from my perspective, has been to bring that knowledge that we have from bringing regulatory technology in financial services to broadening in it about how we can actually do that at a global level, at a government level, in a way that allows uh, legislators and governments to really think in the best interest of their citizens by collecting the right amount of data, by understanding technology better and implementing that in their day-to-day BAU uh, way of working. There were some really interesting findings from this year's Edelman Trust Barometer, which uh, studies the influence of uh, trust across society, across all sectors, government, media, businesses, NGOs. And those findings, you know, that business is the only institution seen as competent and ethical, that CEOs are obligated to improve economic optimism and hold divisive forces accountable, and that business is expected to act as the most trusted institution Therefore, business should leverage its comparative advantage to inform debate and deliver solutions on climate, DEI and skills training. Ajaz, how do you feel about being part of that? There's a lot of talk in in the world about diversity and inclusion. And there's, there's a simple way to think about it, which is diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance because you get seen. And belonging is where you get to choose a song from the playlist that everyone else can dance to. The best organisations are the ones where the architecture and the ideology of that organisation inspires and empowers the many. When you hire great people great people need autonomy and independence and and to to be able to thrive rather than feel claustrophobic diana same question to you uh, about trust and business i think that the when you when you have a business you have a responsibility to really think about trust as, as one of the core things you want to maintain and i think that from the concepts of diversity to uh, trying to really have a place of work that allows everyone to be the best they can be. It's, it's so important because it is fundamentally an opportunity for you to create a mini world to basically demonstrate what is possible when you open up the gates that way and when you allow um, you know, the, the right culture to, to flourish. Um, and by having the right culture internally, that perpetrates more, more trust externally as well. The incredible thing with technology is that it brings people closer. It has that ability it can bring people closer in terms of your understanding of them, in terms of the information we have from them. It, it's it's something that's quite magnificent from that in, from that perspective. So 
if we have an opportunity to share with technology um, a voice that can make things better for other people, then then why not? Whether it is through podcasts like this or working with charities or working with One Young World, uh, it is, uh, you know, it is almost a responsibility, I think, to share that luck that we have been given of uh, being in a position where we don't have to worry about our shelter or our safety or our ability to be a woman and run a business uh, without any any risk. I'm going to stay with you, Diana. If you can encourage our listeners to read one piece of research or one report that would inspire them, what would you suggest? I guess two things. I do think that uh, an interesting piece of reading is actually the AI Act that was published by the European Union um, recently. And I think that it is probably some of the best uh, legislation that's been put out there our guidelines, I guess, for legislation has been put out there to prevent some of the things we were discussing when it came to artificial intelligence. Uh, and it is at the forefront, right, relative to what's happening in, in places like China or the US. So I think it's worth a good read. And I know that the UK is looking at something similar. And then I would say, you know, just for people to investigate a little bit around the philosophy of Ikigai, which is a Japanese philosophy, and there's loads of very good reading around that out there. Um, but I think, you know, the concepts of what is our purpose as human beings, right? And, and if you try to marry that with thinking of enjoying your work, uh, doing something that you love, doing something that's useful for society that actually you get paid for, uh, and understanding how to leverage technology in that context, um, I think it makes for, for a very good reading for, for thinking about how to build a career and uh, what is the reason for work versus uh, leveraging technology and doing things that you enjoy doing as well. Well, I've got two elements I'd love to share. One is a sense of inspiration. Wade Davis, the brilliant, famous anthropologist. I think if you read anything from Wade Davis, it's inspiring and wonderful. And, you know, one of the speeches I read from, from Wade Davis had this incredibly inspiring quote, which I feel like is aimed at everyone listening to this podcast and especially the millennials and Gen Z, the, the zillennials. And, and the quote is that in the first years, you live beneath the shadow of the past, too young to know what to do. In your last years, you find that you're too old to understand the world coming at you from behind. But in between, there is a small and narrow beam of light that illuminates your life. And I think that small and narrow beam of light that illuminates our lives is right now. And what we put into the world can help it to be better. So Wade Davis is the inspirational, optimistic, hopeful side. And then there's one cautious side as well, which is the University of Chicago's Energy Policy Institute issued an incredible report that shows that air pollution is the world's top threat to public health and it reduces people's lives by 2.3 years. And if you think about cigarettes and all the, the legislation that came in place when cigarettes shaved off around 2.2 years off the lifespan of people globally and yet where is the legislation that's protecting our planet and protecting our people from pollution well actually let's look forward now Ajaz, if someone asked you 20 years from now how have you changed the world for the better keeping creativity and innovation in mind 
What do you think they'll say? Well, hopefully the work that our exceptional teams all over the world produce, the ideas that our teams produce will continue to be influential and help contribute to society. And hopefully the writing and the thoughts that we're creating every day is also contributing to a better future and improving the quality of life. And I hope that the our charitable fellowship, ajars.org, does provide some support as well. But I think most importantly, hopefully all the children that we're blessed to be raising today will be responsible, innovative, ethical, have empathy and culturally aware role models that contribute to society to improve things. So that's the biggest responsibility is that we don't inherit the earth from our ancestors, we borrow it from our children. And so right now, all of us as stewards for our planet and the stewardship involves so many different aspects of the planet and looking after and caring for it. Now a question that we ask all of our guests. Uh, We want to find out as responsible leaders what you personally are committed to doing more of or less of in the coming year. So I hope that what I will be able to be doing more of is be given the opportunity to to continue leveraging our platform and to grow that platform into voicing things that we think are important and to hopefully have and continue to having that influence in terms of technology and policymaking in the in the in the broader context of artificial intelligence, agile regulation, and also diversity, which I think are very important topics. So I, I hope I can continue doing more of that uh, in the next few years. And less of? Less of. Um, maybe reading the news. The news are so depressing nowadays. <laughs> I almost think I should just stop myself from from reading them. I think that the life journey as an entrepreneur and in general is to find that balance, right, between trying to change the world, but at the same time, not to let the world depress you. And there are so many beautiful things to hold on to, right? And so I think it's uh, uh, focusing more on the good stuff and maybe worrying less about the the bad stuff, which there is out there. And and it's important to, to know that it's there but uh, probably not necessary to be all the time thinking too much about it. So it's it's about striking that balance, I guess. So I hear you as a journalist who's worked <laughs> in Northern Ireland for 30 years. I know we could fill news programmes with good stories too. We just don't. And finally, Ajaz, as a responsible leader, the final question to you is, what will you personally be doing more of or less of in the coming year? I'd love to continue to work with our team and our clients to hopefully be at the vanguard and not the old guard. And you know, we have this belief that success has the seeds of failure built in. One of the biggest mistakes we could make is to rest on our laurels because you know, we believe there's always room for improvement. And, and based on that thought, we're all prisoners of our experience. And, and all of us, in some senses, have to change as fast as the world around us just to stay relevant. So I think for me, it's going to be in our team, it's going to be important to be unorthodox, to keep reinventing, to keep trying new things and and taking on new challenges. So focusing more on innovation and and less on, on bureaucracy. Ajaz, Diana, two very courageous people, rebels from the start. You're definitely the vanguard and not the old guard. Thank you so much for joining us on The Lens today. 
You've been listening to another brilliant edition of The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. And if you'd like to find out more about responsible leadership, please do visit www.bitc.org.uk. Thanks so much for listening and tune in next time.